This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco on 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jessica Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, we got a lot to talk about today. What we're going to begin to talk about is this amazing display of democracy in the Middle East and Arab world. We are on the precipice and I'm hoping you can get the sarcasm in, in my voice, of the unfolding of the beautiful, amazing experiment of democracy. And now you're, you're, you're stretching it far that people are <laughs> starting to believe, to believe you. No, but here's the issue. We're going to talk about the so-called Israeli de- uh, election, and I'll tell you why I think it's so-called. It's also so-called democracy, because we're going to talk about why that's so-called that you would call Israel a democracy when over 30% of the people who are, quote, citizens of the state are not afforded full representative rights. And we're also going to talk about the fact that it appears, Jamal, that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu may be able to have enough um, of a coalition form that he'll be able to form the next coalition government of extremist right-wing parliamentary government uh, under his wing and become, for his fifth term, uh, prime minister. And what will be interesting about that is that the collection of uh, political groups that he had to, that he had to cajole, that he had to promise, that he had to kind of align himself with, represents, I mean, we already know that there are right-wing extremist views among, you know, the Israeli political elite. But the groups that he had to align himself with are not just racist, are not just exclusionary, are not just extremists, but really do call for the mass expulsion of, you know, over 20 percent of their own population, let alone the expulsion of indigenous Palestinians on the land. Having said all that, Jamal, I hope our listeners can understand that what we're going to be talking about is the fake, the faux Israeli democratic election. So I'm going to send it over to you. Does it look like Benjamin Netanyahu will, in fact, be able to form a coalition government and become the next prime minister? Yeah, I mean, all indications uh, lead to that conclusion. Uh, just this is, you know, it's a fait accompli, really, that he will be the next prime minister for Israel. This is his fifth term. He managed to pull it off uh, again. Yet again. Yet again, uh, by also uh, polarizing the nation. And this time, there was something different. This time, he had the help of Donald Trump. I mean, people don't maybe are not taking this seriously, but the whole idea behind the annexation of the Golan Heights. And the annexation and, of the West Bank. And his promise. Now he has to deliver. So his promise, now he's promising to annex <coughs> the settlements in the West Bank. Right. So we always actually, last time he was, he, he, he put out uh, the statement, if you remember, warning his uh, core support 
that uh, Arabs are voting in droves. That's oh, my God. Arabs is, are voting. Yeah, this is what he was referring to Palestinians with Israeli citizenship, that they are voting in droves and oh kind my of God. mobilized. Arabs are, are voting. Exactly. When he felt he was kind of retreating, he just got everybody all worried, and then, of course, he won the elections. This time, it was a closer uh, race between him and the uh, Gantz. That's the other uh, kind of fi- finalist the in the former election. military leader. That's right. So, so he, you know, the same thing. He polarized the country. He split the country. I mean, if anything, I mean, if anything, if you look at the whole conclusions, and this is, and, and I'm actually talking from the Israeli uh, perspective. Uh, if you talk to, you know, if you if you monitor the Israeli media, like I I have been, they're telling you that, you know, the country is divided more than ever. The but, elections but that they've really had... Though? But is it really Well, divided? this is what they say. The elections has exposed its political, economic, and even tribal divisions. I mean, this is, this is what they're telling you. Uh, you know, uh, you have... Uh, people are divided between... Of course, he divided... The as far as between Jews and Arabs, you know, Arabs of uh, Israeli citizenship, he divided the religious Jews and secular Jews, Jews of European ancestry of those Middle Eastern her- heritage, like uh, Mizrahi uh, Jews, and residents of the secular and high-tech uh, metropolis of uh, uh, cities like Tel Aviv and Haifa, uh, with uh, you know poorer communities and small towns and villages. And last but not least, his core support, which is the West Bank settlements and the, the extremists and also the role of Jerusalem, which is basically a very conservative city. So he managed to kind of create a coalition basically amongst the very far, far right out of all these groups and split the country pretty much in half and polarized it. But is and it really but but Jamal, let me just for clarification, when you when you talk in those terms, what it what it actually sounds like is that there is a left and a right to be polarized uh, among Israelis. But the reality is, Jamal, there is a extreme right uh, element, extremist right, uh, and and there's no other way to talk about it except right-wing extremists on, on the white side who call for expulsion of indigenous Palestinians, who call for annexation and taking over the entirety of historic Palestine. And then there is, and this is what Gantz was running on, what he called the center right. Now, the right do not believe in uh, rights for Palestinians. They they are on board with the settlements. So it's not really right and left like we have here in the United States as if like they have in other parts of the world. We're talking about the difference between extremist racist policies that Benjamin Netanyahu represents and what we call center right, which are still very conservative, do not call for, uh, hum- do not call for you know, equal rights for all everybody living in historic Palestine. So I just don't want our listeners to to get the wrong impression that somehow this represents, you know, like we have here, left, 
left-leaning Democrats, liberal progressives versus Republicans. It's not the same. Well, you're right about this. For for example, if we're talking about the Labor Party, it's yes. finished. It's done. It's Chalas, done. We say Chalas. I mean, uh, I mean, the, uh, the Labor Party of Israel, which uh, for many years was considered the progressive party is pretty much has been reduced to very few seats every election they have actually taken or uh, or or they ran against Netanyahu they've lost seats in in the Knesset uh, however amongst the let's say when we talk about Gantz and uh, and Netanyahu uh, you know like in contrast which is the blue and white party led by the former military chief Benny Gantz this is who I'm referring to he got most of the votes in Tel Aviv, which is the country's, uh, you know, prosperous commercial and cultural center, as well as nearby suburb areas like Herzliya uh, and other areas, very wealthy areas. So there is a difference. Uh, I've actually was looking at their map, the electoral map that they have there, and you can see the pockets. And obviously, if you want to look at... Uh, you know, just to give an example within Israel proper, countries border, I mean, sorry, uh, cities and towns bordering Gaza. Right. They all voted for Netanyahu. Yeah, of course. Big numbers. Of course. Because they view him as the savior. For example, Sderot. You've heard about Sderot. Sderot yeah, they always, so, so which is basically has a population largely a working class religious. And by the way, they are Mizrahi meaning they are from the Middle East, most of the population. They're Arab Jews. Yeah, or Middle Eastern descent. Uh, Netanyahu's Likud party received like 50% of the votes there compared with 9%. 9%? Nine 9% for his rival Blue and White party, meaning they, those who supported Gantz. So this is just an example. In the settlement blocks... There was not, there was no race to no, tell you. There can't so, be a, so there wouldn't be a race. So you're talking about eight hundred thousand settlers who live on stolen, stolen land. land, illegal settlements. I, you know, I don't have the final figure, but over ninety percent went. Basically, they supported Netanyahu, Netanyahu. Over, over, overwhelmingly. So this is his core support. But Jamal, what is it? What does it say? I mean, I want to. It does look like Netanyahu is going to be able to form a coalition. It's a parliamentary system that the Israelis have, which means that, um, you know, basically the prime minister is the one, the first person to be able to form a coalition that is able to get more than 60 votes in the 120-seat parliament. It looks like Netanyahu is going to be able to do that. And if you look at his coalition that is able to get to that 60-plus mark, we're talking about uh, politicians and, and individuals in the country who are espousing policies that are akin to ethnic cleansing and forcible removal of, of Palestinians from the land, of stealing more Palestinian land, of denying equal rights to all people in historic Palestine. I mean, this is really a racist, exclusionary uh, coalition that uh, Netanyahu has put together. And yet we still are hearing in the media, in the, Western, in the U.S. media here, Jamal, every single time they talk about 
the uh, the uh, Israeli uh, um, the Israeli democracy. What we hear is it's the only democracy in the Middle East. We hear about this great flourishing of democracy, the democratic process. When in fact, when you just scratch below the surface, even just a little bit, Jamal. There's, this is not a democratic process. Well, I mean, listen, of course it's not a democratic process and the uh, simple argument just, and then we can do the math, you know, look at the math because at the end of the day, Israel controls the land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, right? Full stop. It's, it's full stop. It's all about numbers. You can, you can massage the language. You can say, well, what, what do you mean by control? What's the difference between controlling and annexing? What's the difference between annexation and occupation? All of these te- But who controls? Who controls? But the total control, the land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River is under the control of Israel, which means, and these are numbers, right? Which means that you have 6.2 million Palestinians who have no say in determining their own future. And the numbers are about equal. According to is, uh, Israeli, are, Israeli the, stats, yeah, these are, Israeli that there stats. are 6.5 Jewish Israelis who are living uh, and about. But six, not living, but who have living, who, living, who are citizens. Yeah, well, I said in, I mean, uh, they are citizens of Israel. And then you have 6.2 million Palestinian residents. So the total is about 50-50, which actually we'll talk about it later on, which we can argue it's actually the Palestinian population is much higher. Is, is higher. Right. However, so Jewish Israelis, I mean, this is, this is the summary of the Israeli elections in one sentence, right? Jewish Israelis got to vote on the future of 6.2 million Palestinians who have no say on determining their own future. So I have a question for you, Jamal. How does the United States and Donald Trump and this administration and the Obama administration and all previous administrations get away with calling Israel a democracy when, when in fact it is a theocracy? We know that. It's a state. Well, and this is what Netanyahu said. He said a couple of things which should have made every American's hair light on fire stand stand straight up. He said, Israel is a state for the Jewish people only. Yeah. Only. Yet almost 50% of the people living on that land, breaking news, think, are I not think, Jewish. I and yet they, the United States continues with this, this kind of hypocrisy, this kind of fantasy of continuing to use the word is, is the only democracy in the Middle East. I think you'll find it even amongst Israelis and the numbers are rising who don't believe that statement. And they realize, and in fact, we're going to, we're, we're actually, this is going to get solidified. The, the, the dreaded A word, which what's, A, what's the A word? The A word for apartheid. Well, that's not it dreaded. Has been, it's been, has, has it's been not used a dreaded by word. Israelis themselves now. And now, this terminology is going to come to f- total fruition, I would say, if Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu, delivers on his promise to, his, to the settlers by annexing the uh, West Bank. Can so, we- so if you look at it, just imagine, imagine, this is like in the West Bank. You will have settlements about... Uh, 
some of them about half a kilometer away from a Palestinian village. Less than a half a kilometer. Where uh, Jewish Israelis living uh, in these uh, settlements, they have all the, they enjoy all the protection of the law under Israeli civilian law. Right. And then where you have basically neighbors that basically not only cannot drive on Jewish-only roads, but they cannot participate in voting during elections. Right. And they have no rights. I mean, how do you, what, how are they going to explain this? How are they going to define well, this? Well, th- but this is, that's, it's a good point, Jamal. And, and the point that I'm, the point that I'm trying to make about that is that it seems like they have been getting a pass. That the Israelis for 71 years now, close to, we're getting close to 71 years, have been getting a pass on this issue of being labeled and referred to as a democracy. They're not a democracy. It's a theocracy. The way Bibi Netanyahu, their own prime minister, is defining the state. The way they are defining the state, it is a theocracy. It is not a democracy. And I want to also say, Jamal, if you look at the special case of Palestinians living in Jerusalem, the added racism, the added occupation, the added thumb or boot that's being put on the neck of Palestinians in Jerusalem is even increased because Palestinians living in Jerusalem have to pay this tax. It's called the Arnona. The Arnona tax and not be and not benefit as other citizens are able to benefit. Well, let's just clarify this. So uh, for our listeners who are not familiar with this caste system that Israel has created, of course, you know, Gaza, Gaza is a whole different scenario. We'll get to Gaza in a minute. They are isolated, they are surrounded, and uh, they live in basically in the largest open-air prison. Then you have the West Bank, and the West Bank is broken in different areas, area A and B and C and so forth. So the Palestinian Authority literally controls less than 7% of the, of the whole historical Palestine, which right. is out of the 22%, which is supposed to be but the— But to say they control it is not well, entirely uh, true not, either. Not entirely true, nevertheless. The rest, where you have the 800,000 settlers, Israel has the full control over this. Now— East Jerusalem was annexed in the early 70s. Right. So East Jerusalem is like the Golan Heights. It's annexed. It's part and parcel of Israel, according to Israeli law. But illegally and, annexed. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, but now they got also the recognition from Donald Trump. Right. Nevertheless, Palestinians living in East Jerusalem, they carry Israeli residency cards, blue cards, and what these residency cards just say, that they are temporary residents, not even permanent residents. So don't compare them to the green card in the United States or the permanent residency card. These are temporary residents, which means if you stay outside the country for more than three years, they can prevent you from coming back and you lose your residency. If you work in Ramallah, for example, in the West Bank, and you don't make the center of your life, Jerusalem, you lose your residency. If you marry someone from outside, uh, you know, East Jerusalem, whatever, you'll have a problem bringing, un- uniting the, the family. So these are all temporary cars. So, so when you say they don't get anything, they do get something, not full rights. This is where it's kind of like Jim Crow issues. They get to actually. You have the right to vote in municipal elections. Okay. 
most 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 of them don't because they don't feel that they have the proper uh, representation. They pay taxes, so taxation without representation, they they cannot vote in the prime minister, for example, exactly. election, and they get. Uh, social benefits, some of the social benefits that the Israeli citizens get, but they don't have the full citizenship, which means that they are second-class citizens. At best, second-class citizens, Jamal. They're not citizens, actually. I'm sorry, because I consider Palestinians with Israeli citizenship as the second-class citizens. Right. Because they're not even second-class citizens. They're not citizens at all. But that's my point. Temporary residents. And so to put this in even the broader context... um, We're talking about a situation where historically, and this goes back, gosh, uh, this goes back almost to the our founding, you know, uh, our founding fathers and mothers. I I don't want to just say founding fathers, but in the birth of the United States, it's generally been accepted that American politicians do not interfere in the elections of other countries. It's just. It's You're just, making a joke right it's, here. <laughs> right. Okay, let me say You're this. You're making a joke right, right. here. Let's just and say— And I'm not talking about Israel. No, no. But let's just say are not supposed to interfere overtly in the elections of other countries. But what I mean by that— as elected officials in this country, you're, are not, not, su- you're not supposed to. You're not supposed that, to. Uh, the, what we do know is that the United States throws elections through their embassies and through— the CIA all the time. But what is different in this election, Jamal, we had the president of the United States come out and say that he basically, that the Middle East and Palestinians would be better, listen to what he said, would be better off with Benjamin Netanyahu, Mm -hmm. an avowed racist, a person who wants to expel Palestinians, who has basically... um, Institute a policy that's been responsible for land theft as well as uh, injuring and killing hundreds of Palestinians in the 20 years that he's, or thousands for that matter, since the time he's been prime minister. And the United. Not, not only this, just I'm looking at a tweet from um, Donald Trump. And what did he and say? And the tweet shows a picture of uh, Israelis celebrating, and I, and I assume from the picture they look like from settlements. And they're carrying flags saying, Trump, make America great again flags. So Trump writes... Right. the Israelis yes, are saying MAGA, carrying, but they have MAGA hats? Yeah, not MAGA hats. They ha- they're carrying flags. MAGA that, flags. Uh, ban- banners that say, Trump, make America great again. And then Trump tweets, Trump flags being waved at Bibi Netanyahu victory big, in big caps celebration last night. So this is the connection... And then there is the common denominator, and people don't like to hear it. But we have to say it, Jamal. And the common denominator between Bibi Netanyahu and Donald Trump, and then people are going to say, ooh, you're anti-Semitic anti-Semitic," or something like this. But the common denominator, they share the same big funder. Who's that? Well, it's got to be Sheldon Edelson. Sheldon Edelson. Is funding both. Yeah. Sheldon Adams Adelson is the major contributor to, to Donald B- Trump and, and to the B- major B- Netanyahu. Yes, yes this yeah. is a known fact. This is so. So you know, the biggest winner I have to say is Sheldon Adelson. Is Sheldon Adelson. But I, I, I thought you were going to say something else, Jamal. What I thought you were going to say is that what Donald Trump and Bibi Netanyahu share in common is the same political belief in division 
in white nationalism, in white supremacy, in, uh, in kind of this despotic approach to politics, calling for, I mean, Bibi Netanyahu is basically calling for ethnic cleansing. They share this kind of um, despotic uh, political style. It's kind of interesting, Jamal, the one of the things we haven't spoke about, there is more than a 50-50 chance that Bibi Netanyahu is going to be indicted in uh, probably in June or July sometime. So there's the real question about whether or not he is actually going to be able to stay in office given the fact of these indictments coming up. Donald Trump, when the Mueller report comes out, there he may not be indicted because of, a, because of the, the Justice Department uh, kind of recommendation that a sitting president, president cannot be indicted. However, under various states like the state of New York, there may be, and even within the Mueller report, there may be indictable acts that uh, Donald Trump committed during the course of him being elected. So they share a lot in common in their leadership style, their belief in division. And I, you know, frankly, I would, I would say this, their belief in, in kind of uh, white supremacy. Well, uh, and they share something also more than this. Uh, they uh, also, I think, uh, they're both survivors. So I'm not as optimistic about these indictments, just like I'm not that optimistic about the Mueller report, even though oh, I am. you will have I uh, am. damning evidence and everything else. They are both the masters of spin, which they've been doing it, and they'll manage or, or even maybe call them the Teflon president and the Teflon prime, prime, minister. prime minister. Right. And I'm not sure that all these indictments uh, that Benjamin Netanyahu is facing now uh, are going to stick on him. I mean, it might take years. He, he has managed to kind of duck all the, uh, you know, basically sure. duck being thrown out of office or or jail time. And I'm not sure, like, also Donald Trump will suffer as a result unless he gets defeated in the upcoming uh, elections. <laughs> Uh, by the way, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO. We're at 89.5 FM in San Francisco. We're broadcasting live on 89.5 FM. We're broadcasting live on Facebook Live, Jamal Dajani 2. We're streaming at the KPOO.com uh, uh, website. So um, there's a lot of ways that you can listen to Arab Talk. But Jamal, I think the, the, the other issue which I have to call the, we have to call this out, man. The Democrats, I mean, it doesn't surprise me too much that Republicans would show fidelity and loyalty and support for the state of Israel in its racist apartheid policies. Um, but how is it that the Democrats, who lay claim to all of these progressive ideals and equality and LGBT rights and, and rights for people of color and minorities— and rights for, you know, with, 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 with respect to immigration policy, ready to, like, throw down uh, their commitment to support of, you know, decent, humane, legal, ethical, moral immigration policy, can yet, like Nancy Pelosi and the Demo Democratic elites, fall all over themselves to support Israel as the only democracy. It it's really smells 
bad, Jamal, and I don't know how the Democratic Party is going to swing this one. It have, I haven't heard Nancy Pelosi say much about the election. Because they were all hoping to see the demise of Benjamin Netanyahu. That's right. Benjamin Netanyahu is an embarrassment to, to them. So if you, you, you know, like, for example, you heard what Beto O'Rourke uh, said that he's a racist. I mean, I've, I've never heard a candidate call Benjamin Netanyahu from any party, right. party calling an Israeli, sitting Israeli prime minister a racist. Yeah, that's right? a big deal. And, and, and O'Rourke supports the state of Israel. He yeah. has made that. Very clear. And others. So they were all hoping that they will get rid of him because, in fact, I mean, the presence of Benjamin, Netanya- Benjamin Netanyahu is a causes a major dilemma not only to Democrats who support him or even Republicans for that matter, not all, but also to the, the Jewish American community in the United States, which has historically supported the state of Israel. Right. But now they're saying, well, we're supporting the state of Israel, but we are embarrassed by this guy's actions. You know, he's bringing apartheid. He doesn't want to, he wants to annex everything, annex the West Bank, annex the Golan Heights. He has made it very clear. I mean, how can you be for human rights, equal rights, uh, you know, uh, walk, uh, you know, in Selma, Alabama, uh, alongside uh, uh, right. Martin Luther King and say, well, here is someone who says you can only be an equal citizen if you are Jewish in the state of Israel. Right. And so how do you reconcile this issue? Well, that's so why I feel the progressives, at least the so-called progressives, they were hoping because he's an embarrassment. He's but, a liability for but them. But they haven't said anything, Jamal. Where's Kamala Harris in all of this? Because I'm telling you, Jess, they were all waiting to they wait. Were, they were hoping they were Gantz would They were hoping Gantz would Yes, they, they were waiting to see the demise of Benjamin Netanyahu and then so they can go back. And I think anyone with an ounce of brain should be happy. And and this is this this might sound crazy. People should be happy that Benjamin Netanyahu was elected. I am. And I tell you why. Because the election of Gantz would have been a facade. It just would have been a temporary, you know, going back to smoking opium, <laughs> you know, for those people who believe in the two-state solution. Right. And if you look at Gantz's record, I mean, here is a guy who was engaged in the bombing and the killing of children in Gaza and people pretty f- much said... And people so forget that. He's just basically a BB light. He is a BB light. You know, and so if had he won, then people say, oh, you see, w- uh, democracy has taken its course. Uh, the uh, Israeli people have spoken. They have gotten rid of this fascist, Benjamin Netanyahu. And now they've elected through a democratic process this great guy who's going to bring it's peace funny. and harmony yeah. back to the Middle East. Yeah. So we live in an o- another decade or two, but I think that's believing a- that the two-state solution is the right answer. And they and 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 uh, no, I'd rather let's let's stick with the devil, the, who we know no, very but, well. No, but uh, Jamal, I think that's a really good point. 
By the way, you and I have been making this point for over 12 years now. I just want to remind our listeners of this. I prefer, I know this sounds terrible. My preference, my preference, because I really don't see a difference between Gantz and Netanyahu, I think it's better that the world see what the Israeli government is really about by electing Benjamin Netanyahu. I prefer that they see the reality of apartheid, that they see the reality of racism, that they see the reality of the slow, steady, ethnic cleansing that is being created on the ground for Palestinians in historic Palestine. And Bibi Netanyahu, like Donald Trump, likes to show the reality of these situations directly. He has no problem saying we should uh, basically annex, you know, the illegal settlements that are on stolen Palestinian land. We should, you know, align ourselves with political groups that call for the literal ethnic cleansing of Palestine. So I, for one, am happy, not happy. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with the fact that Netanyahu won because it shows the reality of what Palestinians have to live under. What I'm unhappy with is the silence of Nancy Pelosi. What I'm unhappy with is the silence of Kamala Harris. What I'm unhappy with is the silence of all of the other Joe Biden, of uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. Wait, wait until uh, Donald Trump Maybe even the Republican, well, I don't know if they can do it without, I guess, the Democrats invite him again they to will. speak to a joint session. That never happens. In Congress. They will do that. Which happened under uh, under Barack Obama but to embarrass a, him. Yeah, to embarrass him. He you was know. not invited by the president of no, the United but States. No, but then, he, you know, so, so maybe you know, they'll do something different uh, to, to honor him and to stay on his good side. Anyway, I want to shift gear because okay, we have a couple of topics to okay, discuss. Okay, yeah, there's some other topics. So the other, the other thing that is connected just because, you know, again, and this is a big story, Airbnb has reversed its decision to remove rental listings of homes located inside the uh, illegal colonial settlements in the occupied West Bank. So Wait a minute, Jamal. Wait a minute. Airbnb came out with this big statement. Right. It was it was uh, celebrated across all sectors of the progressive community, celebrated across all of Europe, I might add, and other places all over the world. Right. They were given a lot of cred and a lot of support for this. You're saying that Airbnb has reversed its decision yeah. now? Yeah. What's it, up? It reversed its decision. What happened? And... And I think the timing of it also is kind of dubious because people are, when they're focused uh, on Israel, they're focused on the election. So they, I think they assume that people won't pay attention. Well, we're paying uh, attention. To the, this decision. So basically, uh, they, uh, they reversed the decision and they, they, they move to settle legal action brought uh, against them by hosts who are actually the settlers living on stolen land and potential hosts. And guests against them. This is this is kind of like the conclusion why they did this. So lawfare. So, it was lawfare. So Airbnb said it would now. So they put put. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm going to read some parts of their press release. So they put this uh, cockamamie press release to 
whitewash their action, right? What did they say? So they said that they would now donate all proceeds from rentals in the West Bank to humanitarian organizations. So they're saying, we're going to allow those colonial settlers to profiteer from the blood, sweat, and tears of Palestinians. Yeah, literally the blood. And keep the money. But, you know, our percentage, we will donate it to humanitarian organization. And and thus, we are wiping our hands clean. It's BS. We're doing the right thing. And then, of course, they're ignoring to say that the settlers will be profiteering and that the settlements are considered illegal. Illegal. Under all international law. Yeah. You know, including the transfer of the settlers into the West Bank, this is a violation of the Fourth Geneva Convention. Exactly. You know, the transfer of population. So basically... So, uh, uh, D minus E, fail, fail, fail to <laughs> Airbnb. Airbnb, you have failed your moral, ethical responsibility by caving into these uh, races. And I think that... And caving to international law. Yeah, and I think, again, they did it when people were busy watching the elections, you know, quietly just slipped that press release. Uh, this is a quote from their press li- release. Airbnb has never boycotted Israel, Israeli business, or the more than 20,000 Israeli hosts who have, who are active on Airbnb platform. We have always sought to bring people together. Oh, boy, they're bringing in Palestinians and Israelis. They're bringing, this is like <laughs> saying bring people together. You know what that, that means, Just It's like, let's bring the rapist with the rape victim. Let's bring the slave owners yes. with the oh, slaves. We are you know, bringing people together and we'll continue to work with our community to achieve this goal. And so it's they bogus. backtracked. They're allowing the settlers to profiteer from stolen land, you know, stolen Palestinian, uh, Palestinian land. And, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. And they think now, you know, we're they, absolved. But here's what we absolved and our I, sins. And I have another theory, unfortunately, Jamal. I think the humanitarian cause to be really kind of um, uh, down on Airbnb about this. I won't be surprised if their humanitarian group is the ADL or Friends of the IDF. That's their idea of humanitarian groups, that they're just going to funnel the money back. Well, I think Airbnb needs to be held to account. I mean, they have been getting a lot of bad press for other reasons more recently. They're coming up, and I think the other reason this is happening, Jamal, they are set to have an IPO themselves within the next couple of months. So, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think mean, part so of this— I mean, so busy now talking about them. I, I actually haven't yeah, paid attention to yeah, this. Yeah, they part. have an IPO that's scheduled to come out at some point in the next number of months. They did a calculation, not, ba- not based on law— not based on ethics, not based on morality, cold, hard possibilities of what they're going to do for their potential future shareholders and uh, their IBO. I consider it a big fail. Another small point that we should let our listeners know, because this is kind of breaking news, the co-founder of the BDS movement, uh, Omar Barghouti, was scheduled to come to the United States today he was scheduled to come to the United States today for a speaking tour, was denied his visa as he was getting on the plane and forbidden for coming to the United States. It had all been worked out ahead of time, Jamal. He had his ticket. 
He had his itinerary. Well, he, he has a whole program. He has a whole program. It was approved ahead of time, and guess what? And he's been here before. He's been here multiple times before. And as he's at the airport getting ready to board the plane, he's informed by not American officials, Jamal. Huh. Coincidence. He's informed by um, Israeli officials that he cannot board. That his U.S. visa has been denied. Has been denied canceled or canceled. Canceled. Yeah. Anyway, one more story because we, well, have, we have few more minutes. Than, yeah, we have, we have several few, stories. We have a number of stories, Jamal. So and this is something that really irritated me. Not just, of course, the act itself is yeah. atrocious, but the way the media has been reporting on this. So, you know, uh, today, um, um, actually early uh, in the morning, uh, the news broke about this uh, suspect in Louisiana Black Church fires. Yes, the three... Who is basically the son of a sheriff's deputy. Right. I didn't know that before until until today. Yeah. So uh, he's been setting these churches, basically black churches, on fire in Louisiana. And uh, the way he has been presented, again... Same old story. Same old story. You don't say that he's a terrorist. No, he has mental health issues. He has mental health issues. (laughs) Every time a white terrorist commits a heinous crime, we start analyzing them. Right. So this guy, and this is the headline. When they talk about, actually, when they identify his name, by the way, now, he has been identified. Holden Matthews is 20 years uh, old, and... He basically, the first sentence in both CNN, Associated Press, this is the first sentence. This is the way how they describe him. And you know, if he was a person of color, it would have been a terrorist, Domestic ISIS, terrorist. ISIS supporter. they'll throw all these things. And this is how it was described, just a suspect in arson fires at three historically black Louisiana churches is a law enforcement officer's sons who may have been influenced by black metal music. <laughs> Heavy metal music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> metal music. This is, this is kind that, of, you that, know. You know what? That's really This irris- is just how they give him no, the pass. but this is irresponsible. Like he's troubled because he's no. been li- listening to this crazy music. No, that's irresponsible. Have recording. any music led you to set buildings on fire, Jess? N- never. And I listen to crazy music. So This is... The first sentence, this is the qualifier for right. his act, that I'm supposed to feel sorry for him. Is a troubled 21-year-old. No, He's a been pass. listening to music, bad, bad music. The music forced him to set black churches on fire. Well, Jamal, you have every right to be outraged and indignant. It's irresponsible reporting. It's an irresponsible um, use. It's, it's disrespectful for people who are truly struggling with legitimate mental health issues. But it, again, it points to this hypocrisy <sighs> of that um, when people of color commit these heinous acts, they are, or any kind of act, they are automatically labeled as terrorists. But when people, you know, who basically are in the white community, they always have mental health problems. It's a complete... Uh, Irresponsible reporting. I don't know what 
where you read that from, where that that comment. This, is, this one was from CNN. Well, then, then, and also was from then Associated CN, Press. C, then CNN needs to be totally held accountable to that. I I want to kind of since we're talking about um, this kind of irresponsible reporting, I feel in, incumbent <clears throat> upon us. Speaking of hypocrisy. Do you know what Donald Trump said to the Republican uh, Jewish <laughs> community? He gave a big talk. And I should add to your sentence, imagine if it, anyone else have said this. No, what, imagine I'm, I'm going to tell you Ilhan what Omar I want to tell you what this. I want to tell you what Donald Trump said and imagine if Ilhan <clears throat> Omar said this. You should just just set up the uh, the scene who was he talking to? So the, these, this, the, this is the uh, this is the uh, republic. Basically, these are the elite of the Republican Jewish community. So the Republican Jewish community in Florida is having this big event. They invite Donald Trump to come and speak. He spoke there recently, a number of months ago, and he said to a group of of Jewish Americans, "I know why you don't want to take my money." Because you want to control your politicians. This is before. Not this is this. before. This is before. Yeah, so this, this is an older uh, this story. Is, yeah, this is an older story. That this is done, and this is not just an anti-Semitic trope. It's purely anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. He got away with it. He got to pass nothing. Now he's speaking to them again, and he says to a group of American Americans. These. This is part of the American Jewish community. He says, I just got off the phone with your prime minister. <laughs> Bibi's a great guy. He's your prime minister. And, you know, he goes on and on and says a few other kind of crazy things. And, Jamal, not a peep from Fox News, not a peep from CNN, not a peep from MSNBC, not a peep from anybody in the mainstream media. And, again, this is not a... This is not just an anti-Semitic trope. It's purely anti-Semitic. And I will ask you, what if Ilhan Omar said oh, that? I mean, uh, I mean, listen, it's, it's, Come it's a crazy thing. This is not the first time. And again, um, just to clarify, he was speaking on Saturday, this past Saturday. Just this past Saturday. In front of the Republican Jewish coalition. And this is the exact quote. He said, I stood with your prime minister at the White House to recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Your prime minister. Yes. Speaking to Americans. Your prime minister. So this whole kind of thing about, quote, dual loyalties and things like that. And, of course, when, when Trump says something like this, Jamal— Nobody calls it out. No. Nobody confronts the, the I mean, the ADL didn't say anything, nothing about this. But they continue to attack Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, AOC on a daily basis because they continue to want to. And they, what, what the progressives in the Democratic Party, all they're saying, Jamal, why can't we have an honest discussion about U.S. foreign policy. Why can't we honestly discuss what's happening in Palestine and have an open debate and discussion about what is happening in Palestine? And just by bringing up the question, they're being labeled as anti-Semitic and being attacked. Here you have the president of the United States literally being anti-Semitic and getting a free pass. So 
we wonder why it is, and this leads to the next thing that I just want to talk about briefly, Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. continuing to attack Ilhan Omar is causing her to have death threats against well, she, her. She's, uh, they've already arrested one. Uh, Who was an avowed Trump supporter. Yes. He, he uh, basically, uh, you know, threatened, threatened her and they, they had arrested to arrest him, him and they found uh, shotguns and handgun in his house. So it's... Uh, it's serious, man. It's a serious thing. And it's then really when they, serious. he keep repeating this time and time again, it's going to lead to something horrible. I hope not, but, but it's a very dangerous game a, that he's playing. But, you know, we think we call it a game, but I believe it's deliberate. I believe that the attacks on Ilhan Omar not only are deliberate, but are intended to create uh, fear, anxiety, and cast this kind of uh, pall over everything. And, and they, they don't want these strong women of color to speak, Jamal. That's really what it comes down to. You have these three or four or more incredibly strong women of color in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party who are saying, let's have an honest discussion about Palestine. And they are getting hammered time and time again. Yeah, but they're picking uh, the mo picking up the most on uh, Ilhan Omar. Yeah, Ilhan, And we spoke sure. about this before. You know, I think the combination of A, that she's uh, from uh, originally from Somalia. Right. She's Muslim. Right. She wears the hijab. Right. So the other women, you know, don't stick out like her. She has been outspoken. Yeah. And she's a woman. And she's a woman. So, uh, you know, she has been the poster child of hate f for all the, the supporters, all the white supremacists. Just they look at her. She's in Congress. Oh, I forgot to mention, she's a refugee. She's a refugee. So they're against the refugees. They are racist against people of color. They are against women. Yeah. And, of course, she's Muslim. She, they are Islamophobes. So... All eyes are on her, and and she has been basically vilified. their poster child for of hate. I would so, say. So this last thing, really quick, and I know we got to go. She called uh, Stephen. It's uh, Steve Miller. The oh, I forgot. Yeah, yeah we, we didn't, yeah, don't we, have too much time. But he, she called him a white nationalist. No, no, supremacist or no nationalist? white nationalist. Okay, I'm calling him both a white it's nationalist a and, and a, a white supremacist. Okay. And what's interesting is that he's the architect of the family separation policy at the border with Mexico. Another congressman called him a white supremacist. Right, and it was okay. It was okay. Nobody mentioned but that. But Ilhan saying it. She said that. I actually personally didn't know that he was Jewish. And I don't care if he was Jewish, Christian, Muslim, but he, whatever. But, but this is what I want to say. So they went, they took that. They said, oh, now because he's Jewish, he's another anti-Semitic trope to call this guy. A white nationalist. A white nationalist. And now they have now videos of him. I don't know if you saw. I saw the, the videos. latest video. To, he's talking about immigrants and janitor, uh, people who work in as janitors. and They should be picking up the trash. They should be picking up the no, trash. No, he wanted to throw trash on the floor, said they should work for their money, yeah. and they should clean up after our mess. This is, you know, the, he wants the a white slave. mess. He wants a slave working for him. I just want to say that Stephen Miller's uh, blueprint for the immigration policies of family separation on the Mexico border sound a lot like the policies that are enacted that the Israeli military uses against Palestinians 
all the time. On that note, Jamal, we have to say goodbye. We're we, getting to another, another, end, another show. Another uh, show. We ask you, please, to listen to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco, 89.5 FM, but also go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com. This is where we have all our, all of our archived shows, and you can sign up to SoundCloud, iTunes, and and the rest. And the rest. We'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>